Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is a podcast from the Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello, breathe deep and relax. No longer do you have to worry about the javelin, the single skulls, or indeed the test match, because the greatest game on earth is back, and it's time to talk football. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm here to discuss a fascinating, high-scoring first weekend of the season. Aren't first weekends always fascinating? This week, I am joined by Rory Smith, Tony Cascarino, and from beautiful downtown Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. Later on, we're going to be discussing what the Premier League clubs need to do to keep the flame alive and banish all Olympic metaphors forever. But let's start with the champions. City and Southampton, Ollie Kay, you were there. Why can't City hold the lead? Uh, I think they got careless, uh, as against QPR uh, on the final day of last season. I thought they they, they just lost their way, having um, having missed a few chances early in the second half. Ended up conceding two goals in very quick succession, very well punished by Southampton. Um, but I don't think it's something that they particularly had a, a reputation for doing last season. I think it's sort of um, like it was late season nerves against QPR last. W- last season and, and then um, I think I think yesterday was probably early season rustiness um, Rory are you satisfied with all these answers I ask him why and he just says they lost their way I think he's right I think they I think they thought it was going to be a lot easier than, than it turned out to be and then Lambert comes on changes it Stephen Davis who I think is going to be one of the signings of the season gave Southampton more rhythm gave, gave them a bit of hold in midfield and City look it was a slapdash performance and it, the one thing I would say is that it's probably quite a good slapdash performance from, from Roberto Mancini's point of view because means they they might go and spend some money. Cass, is that what they need to do? Go and spend money? Um, you, think well, think you think it was it was Mancini's master plan? Let, let's go and struggle a bit against Southampton so that you know we, we can go and spend more money. No, well, let's put it in perspective. Southampton tried to frustrate, and for an hour they didn't create anything against Man City. They fell behind, and from that moment they fell behind. As Rory said, Ricky Lambert came on, and they made him a couple of individual mistakes, City, uh, that cost them dearly. They they only had what two or three chances during the game. They were all in the latter stages of the match uh, against. Man City and they got punished every time uh, Joe Hart was left you know really with no chance with both goals uh, and you know they were well taken I thought City still showed an immense amount of character like we've seen before uh, to go on and win a game that they could easily have drawn uh, and probably unlikely lose but they, they showed character in abundance for me Ollie um 
I was one of those people who kind of assumed that City would be better this season, regardless of their signings, because I thought that um, Aguero and, and Silva would have another season under their belt. I thought that uh, you know Carlos Tevez looked motivated in, in preseason and certainly I thought played very well mm. against Southampton, uh, and that Mario Balotelli could kind of realize that hey, if he behaves and acts normal for one month, then he's actually you know potentially could be living up to um, to his reputation, to his good reputation. Um, but then I see this, and I'm asking myself, why don't they? Why don't they wipe the floor with Southampton? And, and I mean, are City good enough the way they are now to to go and and win again, or do they actually need to strengthen? Um, I don't think it's a case of them needing to strengthen to sort of um, correct weaknesses in their squad. I, I think their squad is very strong, but maybe um, maybe a little bit short in certain areas, despite all the money that they've spent. And, uh, Which you know, ones? Well, I, I always think they well they, they lack central defensive cover, um, but I, I always feel that one thing that they do need is, is a, a genuine wide player, even if it's just to come off the bench as an option. I know people will say Adam Johnson, but he's a he's a um, a left footer that likes playing on the right hand side I, I, I mean a, a very orthodox winger that could just give them something slightly different at times but um, sorry if I can jump in there on, on, on Adam Johnson and this is a new feature this year on the podcast which I discussed with our producer Chris Skinner before uh, instant poll Adam Johnson uh, right or wrong for, um, f- for City and then we'll go right back to Ollie uh, Rory Kay no and no Cass um, yeah I think he's got a future. Uh, I think he's very hit and miss, but at clubs sometimes you need the unpredictable, and he's that type of player. All right, all the opinions divided. Pick it up where you left off. Uh, no, I, I don't think he's got a future there, and I think for his own benefit, um, more than City's, I think he should move on. Something else, we talked about the, the, the defensive cover. I mean, I know they, they, they went for, for Daniel Agger uh, in the summer. Mm. That didn't um, quite work out, may yet work out. I mean, I, I spoke to somebody who, um, who felt that uh, basically... That the issue with with Marwood was he wants value now, and so they go and they bid a lot less than they expect, and figure will slowly converge towards the middle. But hasn't been much convergence uh, as of yet. Um, they've been linked with with De Rossi, and by the time you listen to this podcast, we might know more. Um, he's doing a, uh, a press conference on Tuesday. Now, what strikes me uh, about this, Rory, is. Well, I absolutely adore Daniel De Rossi. Um, he's not really the answer in central defence. I mean, he played two games there at the Euros. I don't know that he's fast enough to play as a central defender. Um, but more to the point, um, the guy makes an enormous amount of money. The guy is Roma through and through. The guy will only leave Roma if Roma kind of say, "Hey, it's really would be really if you really love the club, you'll leave because we'll you know cash in." Um, so he's going to want an enormous bump to do that. He makes €6 million Euros a year net, which works out to, in the region of $180,000 grand a week. Um, there's reports that you need to bump up to €9 million Euros a year net, which I make two hundred and seventy grand a week, which I believe would make him the highest-paid player in the Premier League. And that's without considering a transfer fee, which would be, you know, in sort of the £25 million range for a guy who's not Van Persie, as great as he is. Is this kind of insane is Mancini just parking up the wrong tree I think what, what's happened with City is rightly or wrongly but certainly admirably this summer they've tried to to cut back on the spending as you say and that's largely because they're, they're frightened of financial fair play and they want to be seen to be sort of obeying the, the, the laws when they come in which is fine that's meant that they've had to sell to buy but they've not sold anyone because everyone knows that 
at some point late in August, they'll be desperate to offload Jacko and they'll accept a lower fee. So all the buying clubs wait. At the same time, the teams that they want to buy players for, like Liverpool, as you say, there's no convergence. That Liverpool said, right, well, we want 27 million quid for Daniel Agger, and City have, have he's the right signing Agger for, for City. He'd do brilliantly there. He's he's just the player they need. But City have said well, that, that's not value for money, so we're not going to pay it. Liverpool, because it's City, and they know that at some point they'll get desperate, are saying, right, well, we still want 27 million quid for Daniel Agger to come back when when you want him. And now Mancini's frustrated, and he's panicking a little bit because he. You're absolutely right. City don't need players, but they need to keep moving forward. If you don't move forward in football, you, if you stand still, you, you fall backwards. So that, I, I think De Rossi's the right signing for City in midfield, not in defence. I think he's a good. Their central midfield lacks something. There's Yaya, Rodwell's sort of okay, but they could do with another world class midfielder. So I see why they want De Rossi. Isn't not at those numbers, though. If it, not for 270 grand a week, no, that's ridiculous. But if that's what it costs, then you have to pay it. And that's the, the, City have backed themselves into a corner. See, what one thing that happens at football clubs, and especially if you're successful, Gab, as, you, as we all know, is that not only are you you're looking to bring in players who would be very expensive, like De Rossi, that you give new contracts to guys who have proved very worthy. You know, someone like Company, who's just signed a new right. deal, a mega deal. Aguero. Yeah, so many of them will sign big new deals. So financial players becomes even more apparent that you have to you know, keep in line and you've given all these new deals out as well so it's not only the expenditure of buying new players it's the existing ones that you want to reward for your success Ollie, as I understand Rippenden is closer to Eastlands than uh, from where we're speaking Ooh. from and, and you were there yeah, around those, those people yesterday um, in light of what Cass just said uh, do you get a sense that, that, that they get it? That, that, I mean, I don't understand as, as we said, De Rossi if you're going to give them 270 or, or even 250, the next thing that happens is Sergio Aguero is going to come out and say, hey, I think I'm slightly better than De Rossi and more important to this team, and probably is. Um, and then you got to go pay him. And does Mancini, I mean, I can see the Marwood argument, but does Mancini not get it? Did, did, I mean, did he, did he address this at all yesterday? Anybody think to ask him? Uh, well, he's been asked about the, the sort of transfer uh, impasse, uh, you know, a, a few a few times in, in recent weeks, and, and he generally sort of uh, replies sort of slightly witheringly. Uh, you, you, ask, you need to ask Brian Marwood about that. And do and, people uh, ask Brian Marwood, or does he just sit in a well, box and not speak to anyone? I, I think um, I think people have lines of communication into the um, into the boardroom and, and, and back out again. But uh, Brian Marwood certainly hasn't spoken on the record about it. Um, Recently, so we've got we've had no official answers from there. But um, I mean, it's, it's similar, really, to how I mean, you know, when Chelsea first started winning the league, and, and and then they spent a lot to you know to, to try and keep building and Shevchenko and Balak and, and so on, and then they went into this sort of more rationalised uh, period where they were trying to uh, you know, rationalise their spending and and you know really restrict, and, and Abramovich was sort of turning the tap off, and it seems like. City are, are trying to do that. Obviously, there's the financial fair play um, difficulties as well. But, but it's, it, it must be very strange for City to be, and, and strange for Mancini to, to want a player like Van Persie and want a player like Happy uh, Martinez and uh, not be able to get them, seemingly not be able to get them because you know, because the, the money isn't there. Um, and I, I think Mancini must find it very frustrating because, you know, you would say that had uh, he been able to add Van Persie rather than United, I think Van Persie, I think we'd be talking about a one-horse race for the title. The, the parallel with Chelsea obviously is, is an apt one, and I think if you take 2006 as being the point at which they stopped 
adding really expensive players to their squad, there was a, a plateauing of their success, wasn't there, for four years? Mm. Until they got an Italian manager, and then they started winning again. Arguably the greatest manager of all time in Carlo Ancelotti. And a warrior of the light. A warrior of the light, like Carlo Ancelotti. To, in, and, and then you can, and I don't, this isn't sort of disparaging their achievement under Di Matteo at all, but that the Champions League was kind of the last hurrah of that generation, that first team that Mourinho built, and that kind, that kind of spoke back to 2005. Well, it, but City want to avoid that. They, City want to keep growing, but they're being held back by their by the lavish spending of three years ago, and that's that's the problem. Well, don't get me wrong, but aren't Chelsea the biggest spenders this summer? That's fine. Because, they are, yeah. They, yeah. They've decided so, to start spending so, again. So, so but, you know, and then you go back to Torres when he signed. They spent yeah. seventy million in that window in that's, January. That, I mean, that's uh, only eighteen million. No, no, I agree. And that's a whole other issue. And that's one of the mysteries of Chelsea, mm. which is a discussion for another time. But I wanted to ask you because I want to talk a, a bit about Southampton. Um, mm. I know that Alan Pardew doesn't like their chairman, but um, I've spent <laughs> some time with him, and I think he's certainly very sure of himself. But I think they've obviously, you know, have a, a, had a good setup. Um, they came up. What struck me about Atkins is he plays a 17-year-old kid in midfield. Now, I haven't picked up your biography of late, but can you give us a bit of context about... I'm assuming, were you 17 when you made your debut? 19. You're going to tell me you were 11 or something. 19. No. Um, What's it like, and what do you think, and, and what, what, how are you different at 17 to 19? I just, can you just take us there a little bit about, I mean, you're like, Craig, yeah, I'm, playing, I'm, I'm, I'm playing in the, my, my Premier League debut against the champions. I am mm. 17 years old. That's David Silva. That's Sergio mm. Aguero. I mean, well, there, there is a safeguard to that, Gab, is that, you know, I, I remember when Damien Duff and Robbie Keane came into the Ireland squad at 17-year-old kids and the naivety of, you know, these players, that they, they, they can be fearless and they can walk into a football match and actually embrace it. It's not the, the fear doesn't come within them on them particular days. For them, they're in a dream world. They're, it's an opportunity. And I think they just totally don't know what's going to be in front of them. Years down the, li- years down the line, you do look back and you sometimes, with experience, you do feel more pressure in some ways. But throwing, throwing people in the deep end can be an unbelievable asset for you because they can just go out and think, do you know what, I've got nothing to prove. I'm a 17-year-old kid. I'm just going to want to play football. And they can, um, they, they can achieve. And I've seen many, many kids being thrown in the deep end and be successful. And you'll find out that they will be good enough if they can show immediately what a manager's confidence of what he's seen in training, he looks at the guy's character. You know, you take all this into consideration. Nigel Atkins wouldn't have just thrown him in. He would have known that, I'll tell you what, this kid can be ready now. He, he looks like he's ready. He can handle it. I'm sure he can. He'd have been convinced by that. Ollie, uh, you were there. I, I'm assuming, uh, given that the Premier League so media-friendly, he was made available to the media <laughs> afterwards, and you got a lot of uh, time with him. What's he like? Mm. Well, uh, I, I can only um, I can only judge him as a player. He, he, he was he was very um, very tidy, very mature in, in what he did on the ball, and mature and sensible in what he did off the ball. Uh, I, I thought he looked like a, a very decent player, but I, I, I was interested to note beforehand that his his father was a barrister. Um, so um, well, I don't know what to say to that, but but, it's, um, but yeah, that's, it's not a typical football a minor background. barrister. Well, this is do we have This goes back to our discussion about class and people playing football. This is the Maybe year. Times are, times are changing. This is the year of the double-barrelled surname. If you look at Fraser Price and who was the other who was the other Jamaican sp- lady sprinter who 
in the Olympics. Okay, a lot of ladies sprinters have double-barreled surnames because they get married. A, B, let's not go back to the Olympics. C, oh, yeah, this guy's yeah. not a woman and, and he's not Ward a sprinter. Prowls, there's loads <laughs> D, of... D, even ju- just because you have a double-barreled surname does not mean that you are posh. It no. does if you dance Sean with Wright, Sean Wright Phillips. Very right. posh. Love the words Colin Prowse. Colin Tazim Richards. Colin Tazim Richards is a massive fan of ballet. He's extraordinarily pop. <laughs> Colin Kazim Richards is now Colin Kazim Kazim, of course. Kazim Kazim Richards. Uh, that's another issue. Um, right, you wrap this up. Uh, since you live closer to Southampton than any of us... Um, that's true, yeah. You, thank you. Uh, <laughs> your assessment on... I mean, it, it's early, but what they did over the summer, the way they spent their money, and... Um, I kind of reckon after last year, if you approach with a certain kind of fearlessness, if you play a certain type of football, um, we've kind of seen that like, you have a decent chance of staying up. This is my season debut on the game. Obviously, I, I joined the Times after the season started. So my general theory in football is that there are 14 rubbish teams in the Premier League and the, the teams that come up aren't a vast amount worse than them. That was proven last year. Something like only three of the, of the last 12 teams that come up, only three have gone down the, that first season. That That is overstated. I think Southampton have bought well in Stephen Davis and Nathaniel Klein. I'm not so sure about Jay Rodriguez. I think that was a lot of money. But if they get Gaston Ramirez from, from Bologna, who looked extraordinarily good I think that could give them the real impetus to uh, to sort of stay up you know he only likes Gaston Ramirez because he's Uruguayan right? absolutely just to be clear on that but Stephen Davis is for me is a superb signing he really is mm. well right. they, they paid 800,000 was it it's quite reasonable yeah it, it was obviously pitching the characters of Rangers mm. but I think Davis Davis is, it's baffled me why the Premier League club didn't pitch him up sooner mm. I, I was really dying to know but that if uh, Rory K. Smith says that there are 14 rubbish teams in the Premier League you assume last year's top four are not rubbish team teams. So then I wonder, and Chelsea are the European champions, so presumably they're not rubbish teams. So I wonder who the other rubbish team is, whether New, it's Newca- Newcastle. Newcastle aren't rubbish. Newcastle are not rubbish. So that would mean that either Liverpool, uh, that would mean that Liverpool are rubbish, yeah? Liverpool last season were rubbish, yeah. This paper has such an anti-Liverpool bias, I cannot take it! I'll tell you what, that's maybe a bit hard on Everton, actually. Everton weren't rubbish last year. I don't look at the Premier League and see rubbish teams. I, 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 I Thank you, Mr. Scudamore. To suggest, it's hard to see a team that, um, that you, you think will struggle. I mean, I, I was rubbish is rubbish is maybe is maybe mm. stretching it, Ollie, and I do apologise, but no, I, I think that there isn't the gap between the top of the championship and the mid-table in the Premier League is a lot smaller than everyone. I says. think I think I, th- I mean I, I would tend to agree with that, I, and I, I, well, I agree with both of them. I think for that reason, I think what we should have is a six-team Super League playing each other all the time, and then have like a giant amorphous, uh, perhaps uh, a thirty-team league taking the other fourteen teams in the Premier League and taking the uh, what the top sixteen times sides from the. Championship. Championship and they could go play and people could tell us how rubbish the Big Six Super League is. Yeah, yeah, good deal. <laughs> All right, Arsenal and Sunderland. Uh, before we get into the game, um, I, I well, I don't subscribe to the uh, people know to the Moneyball approach. Um, it seems to me that getting twenty-four million pounds for uh, a guy who is twenty-nine years old um, and who until, what, a year and a half ago, had uh, missed more than half of his team's Premier League starts is actually a very good deal, especially when he has a one-year left on his contract. Anybody want to argue that Arsenal should have paid him the same amount of money that United did and not sold him? 
Yeah, I, I think by the time, but by the time he he had refused to, to, to sign a new contract, and by the time he'd gone to Wenger and said, "I want to play for Man United," and my head's not here anymore, um, I think it was it was pretty impossible for Arsenal to resist. And I, I'm actually amazed that they managed to get a good, as good a price as they were, as, as they did, 24 million. But you do, I mean, that, that's the price they got. But we don't know the price that they will pay for for being without him. It's it's, it's, it's a, a big loss for their team. 24 million is not a lot of money now, is it? It is for a guy who's 29 years old well, and has no resale value Gab, and he's on enormous no, wages. No, no, Gab. So Alex Ferguson is in his early 70s and there will be a time, it's coming soon, of him finishing at Old Trafford. He's just lost the, the Premiership last year. He's looking at a 29-year-old who he thinks will make a massive impact at Old Trafford, who is... Who is who is, when he's fit, and rightly so, he has missed a lot of football, is as good as anybody at scoring goals and will be creative and he can play in many different styles of play. And I think he thinks he can win the league with this guy. And that's why he's paid so much for him. He's looking at it and thinking, I want the title back. Fergie's a stubborn man. We know that. He's, he's a guy that absolutely wants to get. He paid £30 million for Berbatov when he was, what, 28? 27, 28. You know, he paid 30 for a guy. Was that money well spent? Well, it didn't prove to be that way, but he still got a good return from Berbatov. Why is it a good return? One goal and three. uh, uh, Tevez leaves the club because Berbatov is there. No, I I don't. It wasn't a bad signing, Gab. Sometimes you have to do short-term signings. You know, a a guy at 29, you might get two years out. You you know, he's trying to give the club the best chance of winning the Premiership, Champions League. That's what he's trying to do. Roy, Uh, uh, Roy, you're always going on about numbers, and and, uh, uh, so... Very simple. The guy is going to make £40 million over the next four years. He costs £24 million in uh, transfer fees, assuming he doesn't get hurt or anything. Um, so that works out to about £16 million a year. Uh, is he going to add £16 million? Looking at it, putting my glazer hat on, is he going to add £16 million in revenue a season? I, I wouldn't have thought so because United's revenues would be so high. But advantage I've, I've, got, I've got to admit, I think at the risk of introducing a sort of quieter consensus to this conversation, <laughs> I think your Gab, my, my my reading of the situation, Ollie will know a lot more than I do, is that. Ferdy might have spent more this summer which means that next summer he has to spend less if he's still there and that's where I think the idea that maybe this is his final shot of glory comes from. I, I agree with Cass I think I don't think 24 million quid is going to make a hill of beans to United when it comes to meeting the debt I just don't think the company's far too big for that Ollie educate us Educate us. I, I wish I could, but I, I, was, I mean, do, we start off this by talking about Arsenal. Yeah, I know. And, and, and <laughs> and I, was, I thought Arsenal sold very, I, very well. I was going to say that, you know, although it is a good price um, for a guy who's 29 and has had injuries in the past and was in the finally over his contract and wasn't going to renew it, um, what are Arsenal going to do with the money? It's, 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 it's fine saying it's a good price, but if they don't spend and if they don't replace and they don't strengthen then then it's it's not a good deal at all for them can i just say this is why ollie is the number one right we were supposed to talk about arsenal and sunderland here Cass and i being being silly people of 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 of, of, of silly italian extraction well at least one of us um we come out and we we get we digress and talk about united and fergie we're supposed to talk about arsenal and sunderland and k being the the, the consummate professional takes us back to what we're supposed to talk about. So let's. Let, no, I, I only did that because you said educate us. No, exactly. And, 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 and you and have nowhere to go. On I, I'm, I'm being serious. This is why you're the number one. Okay. Um, there is there is one other issue in terms of Arsenal that does Oli absolutely Thank you. right. Stick with Arsenal. 
transfers don't exist in isolation. Van Persie's a, a good sale if, if Arsenal go out and spend that 24 million right, quid. Well, on let's, let's, let's talk about what this. Well, first, but your rent. One, wait, wait, they're about Olivier Giroud. One, talk about, they're not going to sign Giroud and your rent. Two points to make. One is that apparently they're not going to buy another striker. The theory is that they'll, they'll bring in Nori Sahin on loan from Real Madrid and they might go for a defensive midfielder. Okay, Asuro snobs call him Shaheen, by the way. You can call him future. what you like. I call him Nori Sahin. Uh, the other thing that I think that really needs sorting at Arsenal is the contract policy. There's a lot made of their transfer policy about the way Vendor buys. Arsenal cannot let this happen again where a player gets down to two years on a contract and then refuses to sign another one. They've got to throw it back a year and sell and say to players with three years left, you're signing. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And in a longer term extension, that's what Newcastle did. Well, they, uh, they they gave that big long contract to uh, Alex Song, and of course he left for Barcelona. I think that's a um, different situation, Song, and also that that is definitely a good price. Uh, eh, yeah, some people really like Alex Song. Cass on the game itself, um, I thought Casorla was was fantastic. Um, a lot of us did. I think he's a tremendous signing at that price. Um, Giroud first guy. Giroud, I, I view a bit differently. Is more of a gamble. I mean, yeah. you. you Simply because this is such an unorthodox player in terms of mm. his development. Two years ago, he was playing in the second division and not really playing much yeah. or, or well at all because he was at university. Imagine that, wasting his time studying instead of playing professional football. And Podolski, I'm not a Podolski guy at all. No. So can these guys, between the three of them, make up for Van Persie? Um, but, well, there's a, there's a few points. I think the lad, Giroud, there's a lot of, obviously, emphasis on him to do well. I think a little bit unfair. You know, it's a massive jump from Montpellier to come to, from the French League to Arsenal. I, I thought they played OK. They created, look, give credit to Sunderland, the way they defended it was everybody behind the ball, apart from one effort early on in the game from James McLean. Sunderland were just backpedalling, getting numbers, frustrated Arsenal. But that's what Arsenal have had to deal with in over the last few seasons. And they never had, they always, sorry, they always had the guy that could produce a bit of magic. Uh, Ollie, uh, on Sunderland, um, Steve Bruce left. Uh, they did fantastic under O'Neill. Um, then they seemed to run out of gas at the end of the season. They haven't made too many signings um, as, of, as of right now. What's the plan there? Do you think, I mean, O'Neill says there's more guys coming in. 
you think he's happy with with where he is? Well, I mean, just uh, returning to Adam Johnson, he, he's one that they are uh, that they're very keen on it and are trying to talk to City about, and fairly hopeful that they can get a deal for him, and unless somebody else comes in with a better offer or you know, a better offer for him, um, I think he would give them something that they don't have. But um, I, think, I think their real priority has to be a, a striker who's going to get them goals. I mean, Sahar uh, is an excellent player, but he, he's rarely fit. Um, they had Sisenyon, um sort of leading the line on, well, uh, front of his own, and he's, he's a really good player, but not a striker. Um, they've got Connor Wickham, who, who moved there for big money a year ago and hasn't really developed yet. Looks like he would probably be better off going out on loan somewhere. Um, and I don't know who this striker is that's going to get them the goals, because defensively, defensively they look good, but they need a striker who's going to be able to um, you know, turn them from a mid-table team into a, into a team that can maybe sort of challenge with the likes of Everton and Liverpool. Uh, a striker, Rory, uh, how old is Henry Clarkson's son? I mean, he must be... <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Fletcher is the best British natural goal scorer that is currently playing professional football at the level that Sunderland could get. So O'Neill has to tr- really push the boat out to get Fletcher. I know the price Wolves won is ludicrous, but Fletcher will score your goals. His his chance conversion ratio in poor sides is incredible. Are I'm, they talking for him? Fifteen million? Yeah, I think fifteen. But I think a lot of its clauses. But the, I mean, Wolves want a lot of money. I suspect that that might diminish as the window goes down. But Fletcher is the sort of player he would look. He'd fit right in at that Sunderland time. You pay incredibly over the odds for British players. It's amazing. So why sign them? No. Well, I totally agree. You know, but. But O'Neill often signs players from abroad, of course. Don't Tony, Tony said in, 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 in Monday's paper, quite rightly, that Mitch... Which Tony? We've got two Tony Castorino. So, thank you. Former, former Nancy hitman right. Tony Castorino. My boss is so, also named Tony, as you know. Said, uh, said in, today, in, in Monday's paper that Mitch who tossed two million quid after after scoring fifteen dollars in La Liga, the price on English, on British players is ridiculous. But Fletcher is is a very very good striker. Well, to be fair, though, you know, these foreigners can often let you down, and you don't really know. They just which don't get to it. Trust, so, but. <laughs> All right, our debate this week, we're going to be looking at it. Why can't footballers be more like Olympians? Why can't footballers be more like Matthew Syed? Um, and why can't they be nice and role models and inspire a generation? No, just kidding. We won't be doing that. But uh, we will be talking about, um, I think it's impossible not to, um, those of us who are Londoners, we've had these, um, the, these Olympic Games, which were, I think, universally positively um, received. I want to throw something out there. Certainly, there's a mood, and I mean, even Scudamore, when he did his uh, sort of two-hour infomercial on uh, on Sky Sports News, um, you know, was was asked about it, had to address it. We've had this thrilling end to last season. The Premier League voted it the greatest uh, in the 20 years, which I thought was ridiculous, given a lot of the off the pitch ugliness that we saw, um, and also some of the not so good football. Um, but that said. Is there something, I mean, is it inevitable that we juxtapose these Olympic Games um, with the Premier League? Is there something that we've learned that could increase our enjoyment of football and just simply make football better? Ollie? Uh, I think it's inevitable. Um, and I think there are certainly things that football could learn in terms of... In terms of what are they? The spirit that the, that the game is played in, the spirit in which the game is watched, but... What, At the same time, biased, you, home, biased judges uh, helping uh, the hometown athlete, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, no, there's, uh, there are. 
There is a danger that where people only look at what was good about the Olympics and only look at what is bad about football. Um, the Olympics was brilliant. It was fantastically successful. Uh, I enjoyed it immensely. There really are obvious things that obvious things that we can look at and say, wouldn't it be better if football was like that? But, but it's almost like comparing apples and oranges. It, it's it's there are significant differences in the way football is played in the spirit in which it's played and the spirit in which it's watched and although we can all say wouldn't it be nicer if if it was like that um, you know it's not exactly easy to say right let's uh Let's make all uh, football stadiums lovely and friendly and, and there'll be no hostility because a lot of the time the hostility when it doesn't go overboard is is, is brilliant. The, the, the passion and rawness and intensity of, of a football stadium is uh, preferable to me to the sort of um, flag-waving jingoism of a rowing crowd at Eaton Dorney. But um, there are obvious things to learn, but it, it, it's not exactly easy to implement that. Right. Yeah, I, I think... We have to separate the idea of, of whether football should be more like the Olympics, because obviously it's a sport. So if you look at the sporting activity, there's an element of you know should should players not dive and cheat and blah 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 blah. But then if you look in the if you look at the in Mo Farah's ten thousand meter, you see the the Ethiopians pushing and I'm not mm. sort of grouping Ethiopians as some sort of as bullies, but the Ethiopians in the ten, in the Kenyans in distance running runners gangs like they're not running sportingly. There was the whole badminton thing. It's so more, isn't that teamwork? It is, well, is it? But is it all, all right? Then is it teamwork to? You know, is it? But is it you're trying to, to build win. an indoor track, a uh, cycling track uh, that's uh, that's purpose built for one guy, and uh, and go and win a whole bunch of medals and tell us but how great dab, you are. Dab, this is this is exactly it. That we're not talking about the sport itself but, 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 so much. We're talking about the experience exactly. around the so, sport, and that is a circle, and it doesn't just involve the sport. It involves the media that, that present the sport and the fans that absorb that media and absorb the sport. Well, well, and the it, difference here is that in the Olympics, anything that was negative was ignored. The seat thing kind of came for a couple of days. It was not. I, I enjoyed the Olympics. It's loved it every second of it, but it was not far off propaganda. Whereas with football, people concentrate on the negative. What football can learn from the Olympics is that maybe if the media themselves present a slightly more positive face, not that propagandistic face that, that we got with the Olympics, is that's John Inverdale crying when Mark Hunter and Zach Purchase come off the lake. That's not what the media are there to do. You're not there to flag wave and to cheer people what on. What about that guy who kept hugging everybody? Who is that, that guy who, who came on TV dressed like a slop? What's his name? Phil. Skinner knows yeah? Handy Phil. Phil. Who is that guy? He's just, he's, he's like, he's, he's the British hugging champion. He's, he's employed to touch athletes. It's it, a bit like Purple Atty really, in Liverpool. But, I, but no, this so, is so, the thing. So you, you're saying basically that we felt good about it because everybody emphasized a lot of the positives. Yeah, the, Olymp- the that- Olympics show the country but- as we want to be. The football is what is what this country. But was is. that because mm. I'm going to throw this out there? Was that because this ultimately was a short term mm. yeah. exercise? Yeah, um, and so you know there was <laughs> no a, reason not to emphasize the positives. Ho- it's a holiday flame that where everything's perfect, whereas football is the the drudgery of married life. Do you know what I mean? Ex- exactly. It, there it, you go. It, That's an analogy. It, it, it felt like the fans were the athletes to me. Because, I've, you know, we're talking about comparing footballers like Mo or, you know, and the great guys are giving up. You know a lot of footballers, Gab. Rory knows a lot of footballers, and so do Ollie. Would Presume you do three, too. Given yeah, of course I do. And would you say, in generalising, that there's that many bad footballers? No. 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 So we've, we've now, we're, we're talking about athletes as they were on a pedestal. Yes, they were fantastic. I absolutely admire. But also, you don't get the media. No one was having a go at Mo Farrow. When you're on a football pitch and you're not doing well, if you're having a go at an athlete and everyone booing I, him, 
much. You know, football is full of uh, well controversy, isn't it? Well, yeah, and also let, well, let's, let's, no, let's, so, so, sorry. I'm, I'm on that point though. I I want to I want to throw something out because it really struck me, and I thought it was a bit different about the way the media, um, including this newspaper, covered certain things when. When there were certain athletes, British or otherwise, who were who were among their favorites, and mm. in Italy we have this swimmer named Federica Pellegrini, who's blonde and attractive and very good, and uh, she had a very bad Olympics. Mm. Um, and there was inquest, and what did this go wrong? You know, our uh, our our rowing coach was, you know, our, one of our top rowers demanded that he resign afterwards mm. because they didn't do as well as they wanted. Blah blah blah. Here, you know, you had a situation where I, I thought the women's football team was terrible. I mean, I thought they were. I, I think this has been an ongoing issue. Mm-hmm. Good players. I don't think it's. I don't think Hope Powell is particularly good, and just play badly, and they lose, and they go out. I expect, if you're going to treat the sport seriously, to look at it seriously and say, like, why did this happen? In the same way that you know, had had Murray gone out straight away, like, hey, you're supposed to be really good. Why did this happen? Or or or, or Rebecca um, uh, Adlington is it in the swimming yeah, as well? Right. You know, like, yeah, I know everybody else improved, but you know, did something go wrong? It seems to me that people don't really treat this this way. You know, it's kind of like, oh, look, you know, they, they, these guys screwed up. They didn't. Oh, but they're still wonderful. Well, the women's field hockey team still wonderful. I mean, if we're gonna, it, I think there's a bit of a um, there's a bit of a disconnect there, right? Because in football, in cricket, in the sports that we cover regularly, if people try really hard and work really hard and have a lot of passion for what they do. But they lose when they're supposed to win, they will be criticised. Well, that, that's because the, the basic assumption with all sport is that you're trying really hard. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of a story if you, you get a cricketer or a footballer who, who goes out and, to be honest, doesn't really, you know, don't really care. Just, I'm, I'm not trying that hard to do this. We should assume that, but in the Olympics, it seems to be that that's all that matters. So you, you get the swimming is the best parallel to the swimming was the one area that underperformed. And even then, swimmers were coming out of the pool, British swimmers, and Sharon Davis wasn't saying, did you miss time? Your, did you get your start wrong? Did you miss time? You sort of, you, you kicked? Did you, what, I don't know, whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't want to sort of criticise journalists who are a lot better than me, but I think there was a were lot... Were all the journalists who were better than you, were they actually saying I everybody's wonderful? I, I didn't see a single inquest piece or anyone saying this didn't go right. Maybe a little bit after Cavendish lost the road or didn't, didn't win the road race, that there was a slight sort of element of what went wrong. But there was... The, the whole negativity has not been welcome in this country during the Olympics. I, I guarantee there'll be no... One person would be brave enough to even criticise any athlete that was successful. I don't mean just for winning something. I mean, where they look at footballers, you can win some things in football and they'll still look for angles to try and criticise you. That's what footballers don't trust the media. They don't trust the general public. It's because they deal with, on a regular Basis that the top players will have stuff that's negative towards them. So now they're in fear of what they say. So it's a very unfair comparison because, like I said before, we all know footballers and a lot of decent guys in there as well. Um, Ollie, you get the final word on this. I again to counter what we were talking about earlier. Um, I have to say, like I, I watched the men's. Uh, I guess it was a super heavyweight uh, final, just because there was an Italian guy in it, Camarelli, and he was up against a British guy, Anthony uh, Joshua, um, who, you know. I'm biased here. I thought Cavarelli had him beat. Uh, it wasn't as bad as Roy Jones Jr., but I think there was you know, probably an element of, of home field uh, advantage. But I thought the boxing media, actually, in this country, were pretty straight up about that. They said, like, wow, you know, well done, Anthony Joshua, but he could have easily lost his fight because the other guy was better. So I actually saw honesty there. Was that an isolated case? Um, 
Well, I, I thought there was probably. I mean, it's, it's it's probably the one sport, well, one of the very few sports where where it comes down to something relatively subjective, like like a judge. I mean, obviously there's, there's the diving. You know, would did, did Tom Daly get a, you know the, the odd preferential call or anything like that? I, I, I don't know. I'm not. I, I don't have the technical knowledge of diving to to, to have a clue about that. Skinner, but, can um, I just tell you, Ollie Skinner shaking his head. Skinner, of course, uh, was a competitive diver when he was younger. So I'm assuming uh, that joking. Tom Daly did not get any advantage. Skinner's but, the producer. He's not allowed to talk. Continue, Ollie. Okay, but, but, uh, but it seems you seems you said I could have the final word. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change it onto a slightly different final word and say that people just see what they want to see. When when as a British Olympian and they talk after a game, after after a, you know after a football match, after a uh, you know after a boxing fight, after a, a, a race or whatever, people want to love them. They want to like them. Uh, and the, the the point I made during the Olympics was that. If somebody saw Wayne Rooney, if Wayne Rooney was a 26-year-old from Liverpool who was boxing in the Olympics, and he spoke after after you know get, winning a bronze medal or whatever, um, people would think, God, isn't he, isn't he nice? Isn't he down to earth? Isn't he isn't he isn't he a, a, a lovely guy? Now I'm not saying Wayne Rooney is a lovely guy. We've seen him rage on the football pitch. We've seen the odd other thing, but he is essentially a nice guy, a, a nice down-to-earth guy. Um, but people, you know, when, when the football fans, people think, oh, he's just, he's just horrible. Uh, they, they see what they want to see. People have conceptions about all these footballs, particularly the sort of high-profile English footballs. People don't want to like them unless it suits them to sort of revere them because, because it's their club. And I think the thing that people have to realise is that generally um, these guys are good guys and these guys have worked incredibly hard to get where they are Frank Lampard for example you know he has worked exceptionally hard um, and yet people will sort of view him in a different way because he's part of a Chelsea team that isn't widely liked um, there are obviously exceptions and there's obviously a scrutiny where people are, you know get criticised in the media or get you know the worst elements of their life get you know covered all over the media but most of these guys are decent guys and very admirable sportsmen. All right, time now for some quick hits. Uh, Liverpool lose 3-0 at West Brom, and Brendan Rodgers uh, says that there will be more days like this. Rory, in the name of Liverpool fans, like our boss, Tony Evans, we all hope it's wrong, of course. Um, but what was the problem at the Hawthorns, and is Rogers really the guy to fix it? I think I think Rogers is the guy to, to fix it. He will need time. I suspect there will be a few more bumps along the road. I think the the problem is that Liverpool don't necessarily have the players to play the way that Rogers wants to play. This isn't going to be popular, but I think Steven Gerrard doesn't fit into that system mm. at all. Um, He's 32. I would suggest that there, that there will come a point this season or next when Brendan Rodgers has to make a very difficult decision. Uh, it will be rough. Liverpool won't finish in the top four this season, I don't think, unless they spend a significant amount of money between now and the end of August. Uh, there will be difficult times ahead. It's funny, I thought they were passing side under Kenny Dalglish, and they're passing side now. But hey, let's take Steven Gerrard out back and shoot him. They shoot horses, don't they? Chelsea go 2-0 up early against Wigan and then see out the match with uh, Eden Hazard showing he is, in fact, a bit special. Oli, some say Fernando Torres underachieved last year because there were other big-name strikers around and he didn't feel sure of a starting spot. Now his competition consists of precisely of one guy, Daniel Sturridge, and he had meningitis. Was it, it was meningitis, wasn't it? Mm. There you go. Does this mean Chelsea don't need to buy another striker? And uh, what would Oli K do? 
Uh, I, I think the the theory that Torres sort of felt um, inhibited in in the shadow of Drogba is is entirely correct. But I think I think given a more regular run of games, given a team that is set up more to play to his strengths. Um, we will see more from him, but I, I would say that they do need more more cover up front. I'm surprised, really, that they let Lukaku uh, go alone. There is a 30 second limit on this, Kay. Um, just, 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 just so we're clear on that. Uh, so the answer is yes. Buy another striker. Swansea are top of the table after 5 0 shellacking of Queen's Park Rangers. Cass, did you expect Loudrup to start so well? And uh, you're evidently as big a fan of Michu as I am. Mm. Huh? 15 league goals in La Liga, 2 million pounds. Pretty sweet. Absolutely. Moneyball, moneyball. I, I, I said to Rory over the weekend, you know, 2 million pounds for a striker, 15 goals in La Liga. Absolute bargain. Um, he's still got to, you know, prove he can do what he did on a regular basis. But the way he took his second goal, okay, he was gifted the first by Robert Green. I thought he's finish was just typical of a striker instant not even thinking predator instincts bends it in the top corner left footed and I thought it was a marvellous goal and I tell you what for 30 minutes they were second best against QPR and could easily have been losing the game and yet as the game wore on every chance they got they took He's interesting because he's a big dude but he's not really a traditional centre forward mm-hmm. and playing the whole so many different things he can do Fulham beat up Norwich, winning 5-0, and Klimt Dempsey plays no part. Rory Dempsey, who I think is a warrior of the light, revealed on Twitter that the truth would come out. Um, I can't wait that long, so tell me what happened. Now, I'm assuming that you know. If you don't know, I can't really tell you because I don't know what I'm supposed to say and not say. So go ahead. I, I don't know in detail, but I think what's happened is that Dempsey was told by Liverpool that they were interested. Dempsey went and told Fulham that Liverpool were interested and he would not be returning. Uh, and then the deal failed to materialise. Dempsey's essentially, I don't think he's gone on strike, but Martignol has decided that you need to be committed to Fulham to play for them. Because obviously all footballers who play football for any football clubs are extraordinarily committed at all times. And Dempsey is now training on his own at Motspur Park. Uh, I think that is a terrible shame. I think Clint Dempsey is a warrior of the light. He's a lovely, he's a lovely bloke and he's a brilliant footballer. Uh, and to be honest, the biggest mystery for me in this is why Liverpool haven't made a bid for a player that Brendan Rodgers definitely wants. Andre Villas-Boas gets another shot at Spurs but goes down 2-1 at Newcastle. Ollie, uh, any sense of whether he has learned from some of the mistakes he made at Chelsea? And um, what does he need to do? Uh, I, th- I think he could not fail to have learned something from the Chelsea experience. I mean, uh, man management-wise, he really struggled to deal with the English footballer and... and well, frankly, a lot of other nationality footballers, but um, I, I think he will have had his eyes open by that experience. He, he, he will have, he will be approaching this in a different way and, and be antagonising people less, maybe being a little less aloof. Um, but whatever people might think of Harry Redknapp, uh, Villas-Boas has got big shoes to fill and, and a hard act to follow. And um, Saturday show it's not going to be easy. <laughs> So much for second season syndrome. It's a big win for Newcastle. And frankly, if Hatem Ben Arfa keeps playing this way, uh, you wouldn't bet against them challenging for the top four, would you? Cass, you're the biggest Francophile here, seeing as to uh, Rory has this weird Uruguayan fetish and all these world centers around Rippenden. So please tell us, will the Franco tune delight us all again? Mm. Well, I tell you what, it was a real pleasure watching the game because I thought that certainly Ben Arfa was absolutely running the shows, pulling all the strings, uh, enjoyed Newcastle. I thought their momentum of last season uh, the hunger and desire they showed from before because uh, Tottenham were there for a, a while it was a pretty evenly matched game but got to say Newcastle just carried on from last season uh, for me and uh, I thought Alan Pardew has done an incredible job there See Alan I told you we'd get through the entire show without mentioning you pushing the lime soon Oops 
Uh, Gabriele, one for you. Your mate Carlo Ancelotti, warrior of the light, spent more money than anyone else in the entire world this summer buying, among others, Ezequiel Lavezzi, Thiago Silva, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's apparently some sort of striker. Uh, he's failed to win both of his first two games. Mm. Is, he, is he really a rubbish manager? Should he be sacked? <laughs> well, um, if it continues like this, I would imagine he will be on his way. Uh, two points or two games isn't good. Um, I think the issue right now is just, he just has a lot of bodies in the camp. They have an enormous squad. Uh, they, they played uh, against Ajaccio uh, at the weekend, and uh, there's only one of the new signings actually played. Um, and they were, you know, they wasted chances. Lavezzi got sent off. And Celotti himself got sent off for kicking a water bottle. Um, weren't helped by some of the refereeing decisions. The point is, uh, there are several levels this team needs to go to. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. It's been real. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, you can also go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis. Our web chats, Rory's web chat, is on Mondays, which means by the time you download this, you just have to plan ahead for next Monday. Mine, of course, is on Tuesdays. Ollie, yours is? Wednesday. Wednesdays, as ever. And as I mentioned, in addition to our web chats, we're all on Twitter, so hit us up. We love to chat, especially Cass. Till next time, bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.